The Life of Christ. By Rod Anderson. Lesson 8. Father, uh, again, Lord, I, all I know is that the entrance of your word does bring light. And I'm trusting, Father, that your word is going more into our spirit than it is into our head. And I just pray, Father, as we walk through this, that, uh, that you would help us to get from it what you want us to get from it, that we would see your heart more and more, and that we would know more and be able to process more even after we're done than we are as, as we're getting it right this moment. So, Again, Father, I just ask for your help. And Holy One, I pray that you'd, you'd, you'd speak to us in this session. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, this is hour number eight, then, of the life of Christ. We're going to go to lesson number 10, where we're going to talk about the parable of the wheat and the tares. And um, the reason I want to speak to this one a little bit more, I mean, this may not be a full hour that we'll go through, but it's just because of some things that we get to right at the end of it that... Uh, it was very eye-opening to me a long time ago, and it, it, it was, I, was, I was faced with a decision when I came to the understanding of what Jesus was really saying here. And we're going to start reading Matthew chapter 13 again, and we're going to start here. Remember, this is, there's seven parables all through this, like I said, all through this area here. Jesus is just giving it one after another. And uh, we'll start here in verse 24, okay? Matthew 13, verse 24. It says, Another parable he set forth before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. Now, the kingdom of heaven, we're talking about this is representational, representational of the church. He said, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while he was sleeping, his enemy came. And sowed also darnel, it says in the Amplified, which are weeds that resemble wheat, among, or the King James says tares. I'm going to read this in the King James as well. But while he was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed also darnel among the wheat and went on his way. So when the plant sprouted and formed grain, the darnel appeared also. And the servants of the owner came to him and said, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? Then how does it have darnel shoots in it? He replied to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, now This is, the, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself. The servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and weed them out? He said, No, I don't want you to go weed them out, lest in gathering the wild wheat, resembling wheat, you will root up the true wheat along with it. Let them grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will say to the reapers, gather the darnel first and bind it in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into a granary. Then he goes into the mustard seed thing. But now I'm going to read the same one from that, from the King James. 
It says, Another parable he put forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? And he said, Nay, lest while you gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. We're going to stop there. Now he's going to explain this real plain, real quick, but let's get to the outline. The parable of the sower that we just went through, the sower, the sower, and the seed, has not told us the whole story. There's something else to be learned about the field that was sown into. The second parable is a sad but unnecessary supplement to the first. In the former, the seed represented the Word of God. In this, a comparison is made between the good and the bad seed. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, and the tares are the children of the wicked one, he's going to say in a moment. Now, again, we're, we're spoken of as seed all the time. Here in 1 Peter 23, 1.23, I have this down. The Bible says that we have been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. Now, I, I want to just read that from the Amplified in context here. If I can find it. See, 1 Peter's in the New Testament, isn't it? Just seeing if anybody's awake here. First Peter chapter 1. Um, I'm going to start from verse 19. Peter says, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, the Amplified. He said, But you were purchased with the precious blood of Christ, the Messiah, like that of a sacrificial lamb without blemish or spot. It is true that he was chosen and foreordained and destined and foreknown for it before the foundation of the world. But he was brought out to public view, made manifest in these last days at the end of the times for the sake of you. Through him you believe in and on God who raised him up from the dead and gave him honor and glory so that your faith and hope are centered and they rest in God. Verse 22, since by your obedience to the truth through the Holy Spirit, you have purified your hearts for the sincere affection of the brethren. and see that you love one another fervently with a pure heart for you have not been regenerated or born again, not from a mortal origin, seed or sperm, but from one that is immortal by the ever living and lasting word of God. Then he says, for all flesh in mankind is like grass and all its glory and honor like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower drops off. But the word of the Lord, the divine instruction, the gospel endures forever. Hallelujah. And this word is the good news which was preached to you. But again, he, he says in verse 23 that you've been born again, not from a mortal origin or seed, but from one that is immortal. Now, the reason I'm just stopping that is I just want you to think about this afresh when he talks about the seed that we've been born from. He's talking about, he said, we've been born from a seed that is immortal by the ever-living and lasting word of God. 
But again, everything has to do with seed and the whole seed principle. We are born of incorruptible seed by the Word of God. Point three, there are two sowers. This is teaching us now. One is the Lord, and very simply, the other is the devil. The devil sows seed as well. The Lord has the right to sow the field since he bought it, and it belongs to him. The field is the world. The whole world is potentially redeemed since Christ purchased it with his blood. He sows good seed, which becomes the children of the kingdom. Now, Matthew 13, 38, and then he comes on down here. In fact, we need to just, let me just jump on down and start to read where he begins to just say what this is. Uh, verse 36, let me start in verse 36 from the King James. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into his house, or into the house, and the disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable. They said, they were interested in this one. They said, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said to them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. I mean, here he just lays it out. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. Now, I want you to remember that this first verse, verse 24, when this whole thing started, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. All of this is in the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven has this good seed in it, and he said has this other seed in it. You hear me? I want you to be thinking about this. The field is the world, the good seed of the children of the kingdom, but the tares of the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. The reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth His angels, and they shall gather, listen, they shall gather out of His kingdom. They shall gather out of His kingdom all things that offend, and then which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire, there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now this is shocking to the disciples. Now he says the field is the world, and he said the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. Now as we go into this, remember what 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 is where Satan, where, where Paul says that Satan is the God of this world and how he has blinded the eyes of people lest they should see the glorious light of the gospel. Satan is called the God of this world. That's why it says about us that we are in the world, but we're no longer of the world. Now, point four says, the Lord sows his seed in the daytime. In other words, if you go back and read it, he sowed the good seed in the daytime, in the light. Point five, the enemy sowed his seed in the night, it said, while men slept. His work is done stealthily, for he always desires to conceal himself as possible. There's a lot of types and shadows in here. The idea is, while men slept. I mean, we'll get to it. I'm getting ahead of myself. Satan masquerades to deceive. We know that 2 Corinthians 11:14 14 is where Paul said, and no wonder for Satan himself, it says, 
masquerades as an angel of light. In other words, he comes looking like an angel of light. His desire, of course, is to keep men from discovering his identity. When you study this stuff, you'll read in some of these old books that how they'll boldly preach and talk and teach about Jesus, but they actually, a lot of these old theologians, when it comes to the issue of the devil, they actually begin to make apologies. And they don't want to ever talk about the devil at all. In fact, they say, they actually say, these theologians in some of these Bible colleges in the books that, they, that you're told to read, some of the books will say that Jesus fell prone to the errors of the day. <laughs> I mean, I'm in a Bible college, how, how can they have a textbook that says Jesus may have fell prone to some of the errors of the day and, and all the mysticism and spiritual things. I mean, there's, because there's just, you have to really understand. See, none of you would believe this but massive parts of the body of Christ who do not believe in the devil. Massive parts of them. For that matter, in this nation, what this nation is known for when they talk about different nations and different parts of the doctrine that they do or do not believe, you know what this nation is most known for as far as not believing? Not believing in hell. Most of the major Christian leadership of this nation believes in something called the theory of annihilation. Did you know that? Most of your leadership believes in what's called the theory of annihilation that God is such a loving God that he would never sentence anybody to an eternal hell. That when, if you've never accepted Jesus, that when your last breath comes, that you're just, you're, you're like burnt up in a puff of smoke. Uh, and that's it. You cease to exist. But see, nowhere in Scripture, nowhere in Scripture does it say you cease to exist. That's why when we talk about the spiritual death, death, the word death in the Bible never means cessation of existence. It never means you cease to exist. Death in the Bible always means separation from the presence of God. Every place in the Bible, physical death leads to spiritual death, as it were, or put it this way, spiritual death. There's, the Bible speaks about the two deaths. But what I'm trying to say is the death that it speaks of is a spiritual separation from the presence of God. But you must understand spirits live forever. They're eternal. And there's only two places they're going to ever abide, one's heaven and one's hell. But much, a large percentage of the major, if you press them in a corner, the church leadership of this nation do not believe in hell. And i got to tell you something. You can't believe in heaven and not believe in hell. Of course, hell was never made for God's people. It was reserved, like they say, for Satan and his angels. But um, hell's a real place. There's no such thing as the theory of annihilation. I don't care how many doctors, how many letters they got behind their name, like we used to say. They can have... DD and PhD and everything else. And after you listen to some of them speak, you realize that DD stands for double dumb and PhD stands for post hole digger. But it sure doesn't, it doesn't stand for having ever read the Bible. And I know that sounds horribly pompous of me, but I don't mean it to. But they do not believe, and a lot of, they, a lot of people will begin to make apologies and they just say, you know, you mustn't talk about the devil. And of course, we're not to glorify the devil. But remember, I don't, I don't even remember the old saying myself right now, but when they say one of the greatest lies that Satan ever perpetrated was the fact that he's not real, that he doesn't exist. So what people have done is they've just thrown the whole topic out. I mean, after all, we mustn't talk about this because people don't want to go to church to hear about the devil. Well, you know, in basic warfare, my friends, one of the first things they ever teach you is how to recognize the enemy. You know what I mean? World War II, you see the old films, they show them profiles of all the Navy ships warships, how to recognize a ship in the water by its profile, how to recognize a plane in the air by its profile. They taught them how your enemy functions. You must know how the enemy functions so that you don't fall prone to his deceits. 
the Bible says, be again. You know, that's the whole basics of Ephesians 6, isn't it? The armor of God. So that you might be able to stand against all the strategies of the devil. I mean, it just flat says it. Well, here we're talking about in the kingdom of heaven. He said there's seeds sown by the wicked one. In the kingdom. There's seeds sown in this field of the world, but it's also in the kingdom. Again, Satan masquerades to deceive. Point B, his desire is to keep men from discovering his identity. Now, 1 Peter 5, 8, of course, it's, is that verse where it says, be self-controlled. The NIV says it this way, be self-controlled and alert because your enemy, the devil. I mean, how can they say he doesn't exist? The devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. How many of you believe that's true? You think it's true? Nah. Not true. They just needed some filler. They just needed to fill in some space there. And Peter thought he'd throw that in there. What if that is true? What if it's true? I mean, it is true, but... I mean, this is what I mean, think about it. It says, beware. It says, your, your enemy, the devil, he roams about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Sure, you've been taught it, but think, is he can't devour just anybody. But he seeks those he may devour. Satan is the god of this world. He blinds minds. Very interesting. The word blind is, is uh, uh, in the King James, in the, in the Greek, the word blind, if I can remember correctly, is it's Tuluf, it's T-U-L-O-O-F-E, Tuluf, but it means to smoke. It means a haze that doesn't allow you to see. He blinds. And it always speaks of the mental realm, too. It says, in fact, in like Luanita's lexicon and Thayer's, it'll actually say it, it means mental, what's the word? I'm messing it up. I can't remember. But it means to permeate the mind. It means to, to infiltrate the mind with smoke is actually what it'll say. It always says smoke or haze in the mind. But he blinds minds. He's, so put those verses together. He's roaming around, searching for those. He's like a lion. I mean, look at the, watch the old documentaries on the Discovery Channel. <laughs> watch how those lions work. They, when do they hunt, daytime or nighttime? They hunt at night, don't they? They always hunt at night. Who do they hunt for? What's the first strategy of, of, of a pride of lions? What do they look for when they're around a herd? The weak ones, the sickly ones, the young ones, the hang around. But they stalk, and they're looking for those whom they may devour. Where does he work the most? Where's the battleground? Over and over again. It's, right, it's in these heads of ours. This is why you must have your minds renewed to the Word of God. You just have no choice. <laughs> You must know what is written. I, I harp on it so much, but one day you'll understand why. You must know what is written because that is the sword that the Spirit of God wields. You must have the Word of God in your mouth. You must have it in your heart. You must have it in your mouth because when the fog does come, the only thing that blows the fog away is the wind of the Spirit of God. And that's the wind that comes from when, you, I mean, when you're waving that sword around, bless God, and just taking, just taking it to Him. But it says, be self-controlled. Be alert. It says to be alert for your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a lion. And like all these other old preachers say, I agree. He said he's not a lion because he's been, if he is a lion, he's been de defanged. There's one lion now. It's the, tribe, the lion of the tribe of Judah, which is Jesus Christ. And that sounds all Pentecostally wonderful. But the fact is the scripture still says this cat 
is prowling, looking for whom he may devour. It's, you have to understand, everything about Satan is a counterfeit of what God is. God's eyes run to and fro throughout this whole earth, searching for someone to show himself strong to, right? Is God searching, according to that verse? He's searching for someone who will release faith, who will believe him, so that he can show himself strong to him. Is Satan searching? Evidently he is. Evidently is. The only antidote, like I said, to a lie, and the way he works is through lies, is to know the truth. I just don't know why people don't see the basics. Point six, the evil tears, again, it says they were sown while men slept. The suggestion was that man was at fault. The watchmen of the field failed to be on the alert as they should have been. Had they been awake, they could have frustrated the enemy's efforts. The church, if she had been on the watch, could have prevented the rise of cults. But either she was not on the alert or else she tried to use methods that were not in line with the Word of God. Now, here's some modern-day samples of tares, if you turn the page. (laughs) And these are basically very easily seen Christian science, Jehovah's Witnesses, spiritualism, Mormonism, and like I put, a host of other isms. Some of the aspects of these tares are they all work in the same subtle manner. They distribute the literature quietly. You wake up in the morning, you find it under your doors. But most importantly, they all, don't they, have a superficial identity with Christianity, don't they? You know, my daddy used to say in the country, you won't like this illustration, but he said, if you're going to poison a dog, he said, and you don't want no, somebody to know about it, he said, you don't, you don't ever, you know, you don't just give them a whole, you don't give them a bottle of poison, he said, you give them 95% hamburger and 5% poison. <laughs> the point is, you know, you're trying, Satan, like Ed Coe used to say, let me tell you something, 95% truth and 5% lie makes the whole thing a lie. Because truth is truth. A half-truth is a whole lie, the way these say it. You know, and that's why I'm, you know, I tried desperately myself not to exaggerate. I used to, you know, because of my past in prison and stuff like that, you had to exaggerate to live. And I had to deal with that really violently in, violently in my life, you know. And I mean, it's not that I, don't misunderstand me, I, I'm just saying it was something, you know, I didn't think I was a liar, but you know, you just, you, when you live in prison and you go through all the stuff you live through. But God dealt with me really severely early on about being really precise about things. Don't exaggerate. And we, you know, we used to make jokes with the old phrase, but don't evangelistically speak, you know, stretching the truth. Because God doesn't anoint lies. And at some point, you and I have to come to grips with that, you know, when we speak. Our mouths need to speak truth because there's no, there's no grace on a lie. You know, you just, you just, you just start saying, Lord, I'm going to start with me and get honest. But all of these things have lies in them, but they all have a superficial identity with Christianity. For a long time, the growing tares or darnel, they looked like true wheat. For this reason, they're sometimes called, and this is exactly what the commentaries would tell you and what the books and dictionaries, the actual word for darnel is bastard wheat. It looks just like wheat. Did you hear me? looks just like wheat, but it isn't wheat. While early in its growth, it cannot be distinguished from the true grain, but at a latter stage, at a latter stage, trust me, anybody's able to tell the difference. The devil sows bastard wheat. This is why vast numbers of people are fooled into believing it's true wheat. This is why false cults attract so many people. Their teaching resembles Christianity, but they possess something that Satan has sown within them that is death to the soul. 
This bastard wheat is counterfeit Christianity. It's still a mystery how Satan sows evil seed and produces children of the devil. But the church continues to face this truth from the days of the early church to the present time. Now, again, uh, you know, uh, let me just read this. I've said, see the excerpt. It's at the bottom. The Kingdom Mystery. This is a, from an old book by J.J. Ross. And you may not agree with all of this, but I wanted to put this in here anyhow. This is a, a few paragraphs from this old book by J.J. Ross, who was an incredible man of God. The Kingdom Mystery, quote, In the church to which John sent his letter, 1 John 3.10, there were two families, those born of God and the children of the devil, he said. These two families were set forth at the very beginning of human history by Cain and Abel. Cain, the firstborn, though religious, was of the evil one, while Abel, now that's what it says in Hebrew, it says he was of the evil. While Abel, the secondborn, representing those born of the Spirit, was of God. The children of the devil are not out and out blasphemers and wicked persons generally. They are those who profess to be Christians, having been baptized, have their names enrolled upon the church register, <laughs> and perhaps are even engaged in some sort of Christian service, but they have never been born from above. Like Cain, they are religious without the blood, having their offerings rejected because they themselves have not been accepted. The devil is a great counterfeiter. He has been counterfeiting the work of God from the very beginning. After the prophets, the Bible says there were false prophets. After apostles, there were false apostles. After Christ, there was antichrist. After the true ministers of the gospel, there are false ministers, Paul says, of the gospel. After true Christians, false Christians. Among the apostles, there was a Judas, and it was difficult to distinguish him, distinguish him from the real and genuine. In the church of Jerusalem, there was an Ananias and a Sapphira. In the church of Samaria, there was Simon Magus, who though he had professed Christianity and had been baptized and had become a member of the church, yet he was quoted as being in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. From the very midst of the church in Ephesus, there, are, there arose wolves in sheep's clothing who imitated the true and sought to fleece the genuine sheep. In the church of Pergamos, there was the Balaamites and the Nicolaitans. Underneath the same roof, in the same building, there's the true church of God and the synagogue of Satan. Right through this age, there have been spurious or counterfeit Christians produced by the devil, unquote. Quite a few paragraphs, huh? Let me tell you something. If a wolf is in sheep's clothing, what does it look like? Right? Now, see, that's almost offensive to some of us to think that, but I don't want to wax too spiritual here and blow your minds, but, you know, there, you know, there are many people who have been born again legitimately who have come out of covens and come out of Satan, satanic groups and stuff like that. And like I said, I don't talk about stuff to glorify the devil. But, you know, when you have worked with some of these people and you find out, and when they begin to tell the stories of what and how they're trained, to attend churches, and how they're trained to work with people, and how they're trained, I mean, taught the language, the, and taught how to do this, but taught how to pull people aside and stuff. I mean, I could, t I could tell you a story in this town of a black pastor friend of mine who was one of my closest friends in the south of London, has a church of about 900 people, and how uh, 
some what some black Muslims and but you know this but anyhow they were coming to the church but when this one guy finally got converted he began to tell them how they were told they were trained for two years of how to get into churches and how to begin to woo their black sisters away from this false thing called Christianity. And the way they would, these were guys that had good business attachments, they had made good money, they had good cars, and they were literally told, Mark, I shouldn't call these people's name, actually they brought books just like we got curriculum here where they talked about if it all else fails to impregnate some of the women. I was here in London. I mean, that's just three or four years ago. I mean, what I mean is to get in and to bring division and to cause problem in these churches. But I'm just saying, for us to not, the Bible says to beware of the strategies. And I'm just saying, people that don't think this stuff isn't in our churches are nuts. Now, this does not mean that you go to church next Sunday and you start going, there's one now, I can see him, you know what I mean? I can see him. But the point is, see, we don't like to talk about this, do we? Because we'd rather talk about all the pretty parts, right? Be honest, right? We'd rather talk about the pretty parts. Loving each other and all the things that I love to teach from the most myself. But the fact is, Jesus is talking to his disciples here, and he's talking about the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while men slept, an enemy came and sowed seed in the same field. He said, this is the kingdom of heaven is like this. Now, it's back to the outline. I read that thing. I want to turn back to the page where I started in page 33. It says, after a time, a discovery is made by the servants. Number one, it says, they are greatly troubled. And these servants say, why is this permitted to happen? I don't understand. Again, the answer lies in the fact that men are by creation made free moral agents. As such, they're free to accept or reject both the good and the evil. But then they make this statement. They said, do you will, wilt thou that we go and gather them up? Do you want us to go out there because the disciples see? Some of these disciples, listen to me. This is the part that I want to get to that really trips me out. As far as how we need to see some things differently and how I want to just, as I read, as we say these next few things, I want you to think about some of the ministries that are in the earth right now. The disciples, these servants said what? Do you want us to go weed, root these things out? Do you want us to go get rid of these tares? Because they can see that they're tares. They can see that they're tares. What are some of the samples? Again, I've only put a few. Christian science, Jehovah's Witness, spiritualism, Mormonism, all this stuff, right? New Age. Do you want us to go gather up? Their desire was to use violence and destroy the evil immediately. Young, young Christians are all normally exactly the same way. And this is the problem. Remember James and John, uh, you know, the sons of thunder? They wanted to call down fire from heaven on the Samaritans who rejected Jesus. And remember what Jesus said? You don't know what spirit you're of? All they did was say that, do you want us to call down fire? <laughs> now, Jump down to page 34 where we're back over where we finished reading that, that statement from J.J. Ross. Luke 9, verse 53 to 56, And they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And this is about James and John. I just wanted to put this in here. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did? But he turned in and rebuked them. And he said, you know not what manner of spirits you're of. For the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's life, but to save them. And they went to another village. In other words, so some disciples said, you know, these people rejected us. Let's deal them. Christ's answer said, no, 
lest while you, if you try to go up and gather up the tares, he said, you may root up also the real wheat with them. He said, the time of separation is not yet. Let them both grow together. Now think about this statement. Who's talking here? Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You know, this guy that we say we follow. <laughs> he said, let them both grow together until the time of harvest. Why? Because tares sometimes look like the children in the kingdom. And my friends, the children of the kingdom sometimes look like tares. Only God knows them that are his. You will make a mistake. 2 Timothy 2.19, Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure, having this seal, the Lord knows them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Point eight, the medieval church made this mistake. The Inquisition, I mean, and what happened in Spain and, and, and France and, and what happened right here in Britain in medieval times, the, the Inquisition used torture, remember, to eradicate the tares. Men were burned at the stake. They were put on the rack. They were pulled limb from limb, all in order to, all as an attempt to uproot heretics. You do know that's part of your history, right? To get rid of the heretics. Millions of lives of true Christians were lost in the process. The truth was that the tares were destroying the wheat. He said the separation will take place at the end of the age. Matthew 13, verse 41 and 42. Now listen to what Jesus said. He said the Son of Man, at the end, will send forth his, what? Angels. And they, who? They. They shall gather out of his, out of where? What's it say? His kingdom. Where are they? They're in his kingdom. Again, you need to think on this for a couple of months because it's profound with, with some of the things that are here. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. They shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. This will be the final day of deliverance for the children of the Lord. The children of the devil will be consigned to the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And I, like I said, I already know that you don't like that because you don't think about the children of the devil, children of the devil ever being, as it were, in, uh, in the church. We're going we're gonna to stop right here in a moment. But, this, but I really want you to hear this. This is what struck me all that time ago when I got to thinking. I, I know so many ministries that are... They're, their entire ministries are based on, I mean, their entire function of the ministry is to root out the tares, what they see as tares. You do know what I'm talking about, don't you? Especially in America. You know, there's syndicated, like I told you before, there's syndicated radio programs go across all of Christian radio. I mean, entire ministries, multi-million dollar ministries that are, their sole purpose is to, quote, unquote, root out and expose the tares. But you know what you learn? You learn the hard way. Do you, do you really understand what I mean? Only youthful people like flip out. Oh, my God, you went down to that New Age thing. Oh, my God, you went down to this or that. Do you know how many sincere people there are in the New Age movement that are searching? They're just, you know, I know that you're going to nod your head. Yeah, but really, think. they're searching for truth. They haven't found it yet. But there, were, there are people that would destroy all of them. You know what I mean? There are people that call themselves in the body of Christ Christians that would just say they're all of the devil. They're just lost. Do you understand that? It's Jehovah's Witnesses that drive you nuts. <laughs> They're lost. 
they've got a they've got a superflu uh, superfluity of information as far as Christianity. They've got a little bit of information. Uh, Mormons, you know, I, I grew up next door to Mormons in California. My two best friends that were my age, you know, brother one, two brothers, one was a year and a half older than the other, were strong Mormons to the point they even took me back to the Mormon Tabernacle to, in Salt Lake City. They took me back where you could go through the temple and go through the museum before they shut the public to it. And I remember going through that, I was 14 years old, but I mean, these are some of the kindest people, the best families on earth. I mean, you know, the Mormon, the way they understand family. But what I'm trying to say is, they're good people, but they're off in some areas. But all I'm trying to say is, we, like I said, there's so many things we could talk about about the life of Christ, but when you go through these parables, and you really begin to see, again, this, I, I just long for you to be able to learn to start, that you would ask, Father, help me to see people through his eyes, really. See, I, you know, on Saturdays, I love teaching about the strength of faith. We need to know all that. But I'm saying when it's all said and done, we're in the people business. You know what I mean? When it's all said and done, we're in the people business. And you, you Jesus Christ didn't come to condemn. I'm going to say it again. But, but everybody wants to pull up the tares. But the thing that hit my mind so much is when you actually hear Jesus scream this to his disciples. What did he say? When they, what just... What did he say when they said, shall we go and pluck them up? What did he say? What are, the, what, what are the three words he said? Leave them alone. I don't know, but that to me, think about that. You know anybody that does that? Are you hearing me at all? Do you hear what I'm trying to say? Leave them alone. But what do we do when we talk? What do most people do when they talk about them? New Age or what have you like that. I mean, we curse them and we do all that. But I'm saying, and we're trying to get them all converted. Think about it. We're trying to get them all converted. Now, I didn't say you don't witness to people or any of that stuff. That's not what Rod Anderson's saying at all. But he said, leave them alone. Let them grow together. You know how many preachers don't want to hear? I mean, you know, you understand that won't be a popular statement to say, but all you're doing is quoting the Bible. He said, let them grow together. I didn't say that. He said, he said, let them grow together. He said, because you don't have enough wisdom to differentiate between the good and the bad. You will make a mistake. You will hurt somebody that really is of me. You really will. He said, this thing is so critical that only angels are going to be able to discern the difference in the last day. And I'm just saying to me that those, 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 maybe it's too simple for you and, or, and I'm oversimplifying it here, but that to me, little things like that are like vital to my understanding. I mean, to, to it, because you begin to see from a whole other vantage point what this man is trying to communicate. We are, we are so busy about some things sometimes that we think are all for Christian good. And we miss the big picture is all I'm trying to say. We're called to love people. Okay? Uh, I'd rather be accused of loving too much than not loving enough. Do you know what I mean? If I had to choose on which side I'm going to err, I'd rather, like I always say, err on the side of grace. Okay? I can't condemn anybody. He's not condemning anybody. I'm just saying let's try to see how much of Christ can be formed in us. I love that prayer. 
I travail again for you till Christ be formed in you, he said, till Christ be formed in you. Amen? Amen. We need to stop. Uh, Lord, I bless your name. I pray in, again in the name of Jesus Christ, Father, that you would help us to, to glean that which you want us from this. And I know this last issue, Father, is very, 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 very thought-provoking. And I know there's a lot of questions that come up. But at some point, I pray, Father, that we can look into the book and actually just say, well, that's what it says. That's actually what it says. And I pray that even from reading that, that we don't judge all those other people who feel it's their call in life to, to root up the tares. Because we are simply not a judge. Just help us love and help us stand for the truth and understand that Jesus, you, you didn't come to take sides with anybody. You came to take over. <laughs> and you're going to take over. And I just pray that you take over each and every one of our lives. In the name of Jesus Christ, Father, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for your word. Amen. If you would like to obtain more teaching material by Rod Anderson, please visit www.prayerforthenations.com or call us or write to us using the contact details on your CD or cassette case.